Welcome to First Fuel, a podcast bringing you perspectives on the role of energy efficiency, energy management and demand response in the energy transition taking place in Australia and around the world. I'm Luke Menzel, CEO of the Energy Efficiency Council, and this week I'm joined by Ian Learmonth, CEO of the Clean Energy Finance Corporation, a statutory authority established by the Australian Government to drive investment in the transition to lower emissions. Welcome, Ian, and how are you and your team doing? I imagine the mood is pretty different in different parts of the country. It is, and good afternoon, and thanks for having me on the uh, on the podcast, Luke. Uh, yeah, look, it is. We're adapting like everyone else to a uh, a new world order, and um, yeah, look, sympathies out, go out to our Victorian colleagues who are obviously doing a little tougher than others. But overall, uh, we power on as the uh, as the CEFC in these uh, difficult conditions. Well, look, uh, Ian, I wanted to take us back, I guess, three years ago um, when you took on your role at the CFC. I guess I'm interested in what motivated the move to the CFC at that point in your career. You'd spent around three decades in finance and investment. Uh, what made it motivated you to take on the role at that point in time? Yeah, it's interesting. I had, um, as you quite rightfully flag, a long career in investment banking, both here in Australia in, in Asia, based out of Hong Kong, and then um, in London, uh, with most of it with Macquarie Group, and um, you know, I guess towards the the mid, around the mid two thousands, um, when I was in London, I, I kind of was increasingly sure about wanting to use my investing skills, my financial skills, to um, leave some kind of positive impact on the place rather than just uh, do transactions, mm. try and make money, <clears throat> mm. get paid a bonus and on you go, uh, which, you know, I'm not saying that's what everyone thinks about in investment banking, but of course it's a big part of it. Um, so I kind of got into the early days of renewables in Europe in the mid-2000s where I thought, well, um, you know, here's a chance of using my skills and the capital of um, Macquarie as it was then um, to get into initially German wind uh, and then in all, mm. all sorts of other things, solar in uh, various uh, continental countries, Scandinavian wind, all sorts of different things, very interesting, carbon uh, credits. Um, and then... You know, when I came back to Australia with my quite young, young family in 2010, I guess I wanted to step out of investment banking. And I, um, I you know, I was thinking that I, I might, you know, work in the renewable sector in my own capacity, as potentially investor, developer. But um, <clears throat> the market was quite tough. So I, I kind of went then into impact investing for a number mm. of years and, and set up an impact investing business with a group called Social Ventures Australia. But I always kept a very strong and close interest in the renewable sector um, because I kept, became you know, quite passionate about it and such a fascinating place where, you know, policy, the environment, climate change, politics, investment all come together. Mm. It's really very, very fascinating. And, um, you know, with the establishment of the CEFC, which is a very substantial green bank, even, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the largest and, as Scott Morrison once said, the world's most successful, uh, it mm. was, you know, it was always, I guess, you know, something I was very, you know, the possibility of of, of running it was a very exciting one. And when, um, 
yeah, three or four years ago when Oliver Yates uh, stepped back from it, I was uh, you know, really uh, excited about putting my hat in the ring there because I thought it would bring together you know, a lot of the experience, skills that I had um, and you know, I, I guess probably the most you know, senior role of, of my career. So, um, yeah, look, it was a very exciting opportunity. It's been, yeah, nearly three and a half years um, yeah, right. coming up. So it's, look, it's, it's, and it's gone very, very quickly as you, as you would imagine. That's fascinating. You were in renewables back in the, in the mid 2000s. I suppose you, you've really watched the, the incredible trajectory that that industry has taken over, over almost 15 years now. Um, if, uh, if you were able to jump in a time machine and go and have a conversation with a, with a young starry eyed Ian Learmonth back in 2005, would you have believed what has ta- taken place in terms of solar and, and wind over the last uh, last decade and a half? Yeah, I don't look. I don't think I would have. It's um, you know, there were Europe had undertaken to reach 20% renewables by 2020 back then, and uh, that was driving a lot of the investment and lot, all various. European countries had feed-in tariffs, which were quite mm. kind of simple and led to the, all sorts of independent developers and, and mm. power producers uh, that were sprouting up across UK and Europe. Um, but never, you know, I mean, you look, you could see it unfolding, uh, but it's really got to an extraordinary scale and, um, you know, Europe's kind of well, of course, well surpassed the 20% that they were aspiring to. But, you know, it's obviously it's a huge business in India and China, mm. Latin America. It's just, it's just phenomenal and um, it's constantly evolving. You know, it, it, the mood changes with the different political dynamics as well. So, um, but yes, it's certainly... Uh, it, it, I think some of the things you would never have imagined was particularly the economics of solar. Mm. I think that's something that's taken everyone uh, by surprise. I mean, I remember in Germany um, we used to look at potentially investing in um, solar projects that were, you know, large-scale investments for people in those days, often high net worth Germans, and they would be 50 million, 40 million euro in total, and they might be one megawatt, mm-hmm. uh, for example, you know, covering a, a hill or two in um, uh, in Germany. So, look, a lot's happened in 15 years. No, it's extraordinary. And I guess Australia's got a bit of a leadership position in, in the world of green banks with uh, the CFC taking out that top spot. Uh, do you stay in touch with your, your colleagues around the world and, and compare notes? Uh, I do a bit. I mean, the interesting thing, of course, is when the Brits launched the um, the Green Investment Bank all those years ago, which was £2.5 billion, pounds, they had a slightly different mandate to the one the CFC does, but broadly mm. same thing um uh and then of course it was bought by uh macquarie group and um so it that's now of course in private hands i mean they're carrying on with the, the sort of central themes of of and they've rebadged the green investment group um so there's i guess there's australians sitting on top of that green bank obviously we've got our domestic green bank here with the cefc um and australians have are all around the world involved um, in infrastructure and project finance through either through Australian banks, through international banks. I think you know, privatisation of infrastructure almost grew up out of Australia and, and 
you know, the marrying of long-term capital, particularly through superannuation and institutional capital into infrastructure, was something that Australia has led the world with. So, yeah, there are a lot of... Um, you know, former colleagues or, or others uh, that I, you know, still stay in touch with out there in, in Europe and North America. So, yes, it's quite, a, it's quite a network out there. Well, after eight years, the Clean Energy Finance Corporation has clearly had, a, had an incredible impact, but it has been something of a roller coaster in the energy space over, over that period. Uh, in the midst of all that, what do you see as the uh, big achievements of the Clean Energy Finance Corporation? We'll, we'll, we'll leave the numbers aside for a moment, Ian, and, and maybe, uh, maybe let you characterise some of those high-level achievements. Um, you know, when I look back over the last eight years, and of course I've only been uh, leading the place for three and a, three and a a bit years, um, you know, you can see uh, a corporation organisation that has really, you know, it's really kind of led the development, particularly the Australian renewables market um, in many respects, I and mean, particularly utility scale, grid scale solar, where it worked alongside Arena in the first wave and um, provided cheap, relatively cheap debt arena providing mm. grants to projects around the countryside to, to really kick off the um, the build-out of, of uh, grid-scale solar around the countryside. And that, um, and that was hard for the incumbent banks to be involved in. So often the, the power wasn't contracted out with um, as it as it became um, after that in some ways it needed needed people to take a view on my, what might be the, the sort of the merchant power prices that these solar projects would sell their power at so you know played a, a kind of fundamental catalytic role in in building out uh, grid scale solar around, around the countryside and that led to the supply chain developing that led to uh, the fall in in price of building out these so therefore you know the cost of energy that these these projects produce and to, and to also in the wind sector there you know there's a lot there may be not quite as <clears throat> deliberate in the sense of driving down the cost because wind was a more mature technology. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think the, the CEFC has played a fundamental role in the maturity of, of both those markets. It's also um, played, I think, you know, a leading role in um, particularly on the energy efficiency side in, in the property sector, mm. We've, you know, we were kind of involved over the last few years with the big property players, the, the Mervacs, the Lend Leases, mm. AMV mm. Investor, um, working with their commercial office funds, um, hotel groups, uh, more recently moved into the residential sector, even social affordable housing, and driving big players to uh, aspire to a- ambitious energy efficiency targets, you know, be it um, neighbour-rated or Green Star-rated buildings that people had never imagined you could reach. So there's, um, there's a lot of that. And, and another area, um, you know, what we're sort of talking at, at a high level, of course, is the establishment and I think very successful implementation of our clean tech fund, the innovation fund, <laughs> which has been going about three in a bit years, three and a half, I guess, years. Um, it's notionally two hundred million dollars that the government government directors to invest in 
in um, you know, technology companies in this space. We've made about a dozen investments, and that's been a really exciting part of, of what we do. Um, you know, even as recently as the last couple of months, we've made you know, investments in EV recharging, soil secret sequestration, we've been involved in demand management uh, companies. In Australia has a wealth of clever, innovative technology companies mm. um, and you know, being able to play in that space, invest in those companies, help them grow uh, and develop. It's been really, uh, that's been really exciting as well. So there's you know, some of the things I think we've, you know, we're definitely leaving out, left our mark today, but still so much more to come. So much more to do, uh, indeed. And uh, I, I, rem- I remember um, being on stage with you uh, at All Energy Australia last year, and I asked you, um, "What are the big opportunities for for Australia in the energy space as a as an export opportunity?" And you mentioned a few things, but one of the things that stood out for me was you talked about energy management and you know management of the grid and you know the the flows from behind the meter to in front of the meter and making sure we have that uh, system reliability and stability um, as we transition to renewables and I suppose there's there's been one of the themes obviously a broad portfolio but one of the themes I've seen in that innovation space that the CFC's been prosecuting has been um, in the energy management area. Is that something you, you want to want to comment on? Is that something that you reflect on as uh, as we sort of head into the 2020s? The flows of energy, grid reliability, the two-way uh, flow of, of electricity are big themes, Luke, and have been for some time. Um, it was, you know, and they're all a, a kind of a bit different in a way. I mean, maybe just talking a little bit about security and reliability of the grid. The um, you know, one of the challenges with the next phase of the build-out of renewable energy here in Australia has been ensuring that the grid is, you know, is is up to scratch. Really, I mean, it's one that wasn't built for a whole raft of um, distributed energy uh, around the countryside, and it was built around, you know, large-scale power stations shipping power down to to um, you know cities and places where there was an energy load and now we've got the complete opposite rooftop 2.3 million houses in australia homes have rooftop solar and um, you know they're, they're sort of large wind solar projects in remote parts of the country uh, wanting to connect to the grid so that has led to a whole lot of challenges and you know of course uh, the grid operator aemo is acutely aware of that um and part of our role in the government's very keen um and it directed us uh, with uh, mandates to look at this and absolutely makes sense is that we try and use our capital our expertise to see that where we can invest to help make the grid uh, in, in a better better position to accommodate more of this um, renewable energy, and um, that's everything from potentially actually investing in in, in the grid itself. So, um, in a transmission, uh, yeah. in some cases, um, some of the technologies uh, that will help with that things like synchronous condensers that give a, that help with with firming and inertia. Um, it's investing in storage, both large-scale battery storage, which can uh, have very, you know, very sort of high-speed, rapid response, uh, release energy into the grid to, to meet gaps, keep frequency at required levels. So we've been, you know, we did our first uh, project financing of a grid-scale battery 
uh, this year with uh, you know the big battery in um, in South Australia, the Tesla one. Mm. Uh, exp- mm. It increased its capacity by fifty percent, and we provided capital to do that. Um, and and other projects like. Pump storage, so sort of a hydro battery version, if you like. You know, we, we've got some pump storage projects in our pipeline. So all those things need to come together. It's everything from interconnection, the technology related to to, to uh, you know dealing with these particular flows of, of power, uh, storage related investments. All of those things uh, we're trying to invest in to see if we can help the grid accommodate. Um, a greater degree of renewables because, you know, that's there's going to be a great, as AEMA have identified, there's 26 gigawatts of renewable power that needs to be built over the next 20 years. So mm-hmm. so there's a lot of work to be done to make sure that the uh, the grid can accommodate that. And I know um, your partners at ARENA, uh, the Australian Renewable Energy Agency, have had, have had a real focus on demand response over the last two or three years, working closely with AEMO in that area. Uh, is that something that's coming into focus for the CFC as well? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, certainly uh, we see a lot of technology-driven companies that are looking at uh, demand response uh, you know methods and so on, and I think some of them have even been on your on your show. Um, so we, uh, yeah, we, we certainly are, are focused on that. Um, we're probably, I guess, but where the large larger licks of capital, which is kind of what we have at our disposal, probably more mm-hmm. um, evident to things or, or open to things like. Storage and, and you know, grid security reliability than necessarily just the straight demand response, um, mm-hmm. demand management process, uh, you know, activity. But um, you know, certainly the all the all the sort of the you know the technology and the nuts and bolts of achieving that we are certainly looking at and working on. I guess that makes a bit of sense. In, in many cases, one of the things that recommends demand response is you're not necessarily needing to make significant capital investments to unlock that capacity. Um, it's more about a, a business getting their head around it and, and working with you know uh, trusted experts that can allow them to, to shape their load in a way that creates value for the market. So it makes a little bit of sense that it's more on the arena side of the fence than the CFC side of the fence. Mm. Well, look, thank you for the uh, the strategic overview. Let's, uh, let's dive into FY. 20, uh, Ian, you've uh, just released a uh, investment update last week. Uh, how would you characterise the last year or so for the CFC? I think it's been a really, a really good year, um, despite the, the difficult environment that we've um, we've operated in, particularly the last three months of the of the year, three or four months. Um, we made commitments into uh, deals in excess of a billion dollars, so we, yeah. you know, we still did. 23 deals, still committed a billion dollars of capital out there into the marketplace, and that translated to projects all up that were, um, you know, worth something like 4.2 billion. So, so significant, very significant amount of of uh, investment capital committed over the course of the year. Um, that took our total sort of on balance sheet commitments to about 6.2 billion. Uh, mm. Give or take, um, so that you know suggests that we've obviously you know we have ten to to invest. So we you know says we've still got plenty of, of room for for further investments. I mean, some the other interesting things about the year we got back in terms of repayments uh, nine hundred and forty two million, 
which is the mm. most we've ever uh, got back. Now, that reflects, of course, a maturing portfolio. We're about 80 or so percent debt uh, and about 20% equity. Mm. And we have about $4.6 billion out the door. Even though our commitments are in excess of six billion, we you know we have less than that that's actually out because people haven't necessarily drawn them down. But so we got back, you know, we got back say nine hundred forty-two million, and we deployed um, about about the same. Um, so interestingly enough, there's this now this real sense of recycling going on. Mm. So we're kind of you know people are paying back loans that are mature and getting back principles. In some cases, built projects are refinancing. So you're getting that nice sense of of, of recycling, which uh, you know, I think is which is great. We um we did a lot of we did a number of firsts over the course of the year. We we launched our first green bond fund. So we um you know we work with um the LTS uh group part of Australian Unity um, to create a, a new investment vehicle where um, institutions or high net worths can invest in a uh, in a green bond fund that has you know, quite a number of uh, differing green bonds in it, so you get that sort of sense of diversity. There's never been one before in Australia, so we uh, we were pleased and we you know, raised something like fifteen million dollars of in the first closing from. Uh, Crestone, which is a uh, one of the private banking groups, so and, and that is now open for, for further investment. So that was exciting. We we launched um, our uh, green home loan with Bank Australia. We might talk a little bit more about that later in the, in the chat. Um, so that was yeah, that was exciting. We made a number of investments, as I say, through our uh, innovation fund. We um, <clears throat> we also you know we work with a number of banking partners as well, you know, the major banks and peer-to-peer lending groups and others where we, um, because we're only, you know, there's only 120 of us and we, we, we tend to do the wholesale deals, we do work with intermediaries like, as I say, banks, other forms of lending platforms to reach smaller borrowers um, mm. right around the countryside in regional remote Australia and, um, you know, out there in the countryside and we, <clears throat> you know, we've... Last year, we, we financed something like you know, 6,700 of those smaller loans um, mm. using our, what we call our aggregation partners. Um, and that was probably about you know, 180, $190 million of, uh, of debt. They're all, they're all loans. We don't, we don't do equity through, through those platforms. But um, yeah, we did. Um, so that's, that, that's great. We did, and we, you know, as I say, we did the, um, the first limited recourse battery. Uh, financing um, and, and Arena were involved in in that as well, and we did our second uh, waste to energy uh, project. Mm. So over there in WA, we've done two of those now. This one was in um, East Rockingham, in uh, just outside Perth, and it's you know it's a big plant, half a billion dollars of capital. We put in about sixty million dollars, and it'll process. 300,000 tonnes of residual municipal-style waste a year, and I think it displaces when it's all up and running about the same 300,000 tonnes of CO2 per annum. So, um, you know, it generates baseload power, so that's also very helpful for the WA network. 
And um, just to dig into those aggregation programs um, for a moment, some of our listen- listeners may be aware of them, but um, others may not have kind of clocked before that um, you do have these partnerships with the uh, with the big retail banks. Um, and I understand, Ian, uh, it generally it comes in the form of a, an interest rate discount for investments that um, align with the CFC's agenda, and it's driven, a, driven a, a fair amount of activity in the energy efficiency space. Do you want to just unpack that for us? So, yeah, we would work with um, you know, a major banking group, maybe one of the Aussie majors, for example, that have a whole countrywide series of um, business bankers and you know, country bankers, if you like, going out and um, lending money um, to their to their clients, the customers. So we would um, we effectively, let's say, provide one of those banks with a loan, a uh, hundred million dollars, just for ease of numbers, and they would then use that hundred million to go off and make a series of you know, a whole raft of much smaller loans between you know fifty thousand to five million or. or, or um, because we, we we tend to operate from more from ten or fifteen million and, and beyond, and um, and it, but of course they need to to be financing assets that are on you know, the approved list, if you like, and that might be mm. a hybrid vehicle, that might be solar panels and a battery on a shed in a farm in North Queensland, it might be energy efficient agricultural equipment. So there's there's a sort of a, a white list, if you like, that um, that has a um, have the sort of assets that we're happy to finance. And then once that loan's made, we um, we you know, we provide uh, an interest rate discount, which is passed on to the borrower. So what it does, it means that in in, in the example of you know the farmer that's that spent a hundred thousand dollars or whatever it might be to put. Um, Solar on, on on the rooftop with with battery and so on, but um, that person can access capital more cheaply than they otherwise would, and it would help. Uh, it would would help that 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 person make the decision. And so, you know, we've really done uh, a lot with that using that particular technique, if you like. And then you know, it's not it was it's popular with. Um, you know, in Germany, that one of the German state banks does the same sort of thing, KFW. Um, but we've done, you know, over the course of the CFC's time, we've probably done, you know, something like 1.2 billion of loans uh, through that broader mechanism, some 18,000 borrowers. So it, it means that it's not all about, you know, it's not necessarily all about big scale projects, mm. um, big corporate customers, and so on. It's about you know, um, small, medium enterprises around the countryside, regional Australia, agricultural Australia, accessing cheap capital, and which is provided, of course, it's government, ultimately government money, to allow them to invest in um, energy efficient assets, which will reduce uh, emissions ultimately in their um, in their particular sector. Yeah, and it's a, from what I understand, a re- really important way of kind of um, diversifying the impact, I suppose, of the the CFC's activities because you'll be able to leverage the the networks, of the the and the pre existing relationships that those that those banks have um, to to drive activity in, into spaces that uh, might not otherwise occur. Very, very much so. 
yeah, we get we get that fantastic reach through those incredible origination networks that some of the bigger banking groups have. And um, so, you know, I think it just makes sense. So is that a model that you regard as solid and, you know, is, is something that you, you can, you're going to continue to be investing in over the over the coming decade? Yeah, we, look, we, we're constantly reassessing these sorts of things and, and going, you know, how can we do this better, more efficiently? Yeah. How can we get more private sector funding alongside us? Because, you know, that's a test that we're always applying to ourselves and mm-hmm. you know, over our time um, to date for every dollar that we've invested we've attracted something like three dollars of private sector capital so mm-hmm. we you know we're very focused on that particular metric so we're looking at now sort of the next wave of how we might structure these arrangements to kind of maybe instead of it just being all our money although you know helpfully mm-hmm. distributed by our partners um can can the partner invest alongside us can we can we tap into uh, to other investors so we've been um thinking about that sort of thing as well uh but yeah look i think it's um we, you know we're all we're always thinking of ways that we can um allow our capital have the our capital have the broadest reach if you like and and so mm-hmm. there's you know there's it's there's a vast number of people that can do it because, um, you know, the emissions, the generation of emissions is not confined to necessarily the big players. It's, mm. you know, it's, it's being, it's being generated out there right across the countryside. So, um, uh, but yeah, we'll, we're constantly refining and reflecting on that particular model. Which I guess kind of brings us to one of the, the announcements uh, profiled in last week's investment update, which you've already mentioned, the partnership with Bank Australia to support construction of energy-efficient housing, which just on first glance, and you'll be able to tell me if this is right, and looks a little bit similar in terms of the partnership with a with a retail bank um, to drive activity out in the market. Yeah, yeah it's, it is, but a niche offering, if you like. Uh, mm. So, yeah, so we... Um, we started with, um, and we're only probably at the first step of the journey with our green home loan uh, product, if you like. And this first one uh, we undertook with uh, Bank Australia mm-hmm. and we committed $60 million to their, what's called their clean energy home loan program, uh, where it was a way of providing a discounted interest rate to, to new home buyers and, and people who are building building new homes is on the basis that they, um, you know, they're adopting either sustainable design principles or they're, they're ensuring that the uh, the house that this mortgage is financing is um, is going to reach or is um, seven NAFAS stars, which is, um, you know, a very, I guess, a, you know, a very ambitious kind of but high rating in terms of energy efficiency. So it's um, – and – and it's for, for mortgages under $1.5 million. So it's, it's, you know, it's kind of, I guess, for not for the necessary for the big, uh, homes, but, but it's, um, it's, look, it's a start and the interest rate deduction is or discounts around about what it is 0.4% per annum for five years. We've having some success with it. We, you know, we're really excited about it. It's been extremely well received, but we're not pretending for a minute that $60 million is going to, um, Move the dial in in what is the biggest you know market of all, which is uh, you know the mortgage market or the residential property market. It's, but it's but it's it's kind of influencing what other banks 
are doing and thinking. And you know, that's that's how we you know we see leverage with this as well, product leverage. And people get there's almost a sense of hey, we've got to have one of those. And uh, mm. other banks and other finance companies, they feel if you don't have a some kind of green mortgage product, you're not part of the program. And uh, before you know it, there's a whole raft of um, energy efficiencies and a whole raft of sustainability being adopted out there, and you know, that's that's something to aspire to. Yeah, sure. So you see this more as a as a as a market influencer rather than something which you'd, I guess, be looking to, I guess, replicate what happened with that aggregation program you were talking about earlier, where you sort of developed partnerships with with a number of banks over a number of years and and kind of ended up with a, a, an equivalent offering from a from a bunch of the different retail banks yeah i mean the 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 other um aggregation partnerships are, i guess i was talking about or the work that we've done largely to date has been more around asset finance in a way mm. and it's only more recently that we've been moving t- towards um Mortgage, a mortgage product, um, but you know, of course, we're we're working in other parts of the property sector. Um, you know, we've been build to rent funds with Mervac. Um, mm. You know, we, we've we've kind of in the social and affordable housing sector with, with people like St George Community Housing with Housing Plus. Both were are building out housing as part of government programs in New South Wales. So we've we've been playing. You know, we, we we kind of like all all the things we look we look at various sectors and we we see where we can we can play. Um, and you know, property is a huge sector, so mm. we're trying to use our our capital in different ways. And you know, here we're we're working with a with a bank, Bank Australia, to provide to to create a green home loan product. In other cases, we've been a limited partner in a fund, for example, the um you know the Mervac Build to Rent Fund. Um, other cases, we provided um, concessional debt to community housing providers um, so that they can adopt energy efficient. Uh, they, they can build energy efficient homes for um, you know people as part of those programs as well. So yeah, there are lots of different things that we're doing across the property sector. And I think when I was reading the uh, the bank. Australia release it noted that um, the focus was initially going to be on on new build, but that ultimately there was an aspiration to extend a product to uh, existing buildings. Is there have you got a sense of how that would work? How you'd be driving, I guess, energy efficiency outcomes? I assume that means in terms of retrofits in in existing buildings. That's right. I think that's probably the next phase. Is you know a, a mortgage or a, a loan product. That um, you know, people would use who who are say, who are wanting to take their their home from four stars or you know whatever it might be, right up to one of these uh, you know a higher a kind of higher rating, and that might cost them X. And if they can do that with a with a cheap accessible loan, um, a tailored loan to do that sort of thing, then we um, you know that's the sort of role we would like to where we'd like these sort of products. Uh, to go as as the next stage so you know there'll be we'll keep 
you know, working away on, um, you know, trying to find other ways. But the other challenge, of course, Luke, is interest rates are very low. Yep. You know, we have to, you know, be conscious of that as well. You know, there's only, there's only, there's only so much that, that you can do. But anyway, it's a, it's a, it's a very good start. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose, you know, as you say, interest rates being low, that's, that's one challenge. There's only so much room on the dial to, to move uh, that rate. But also in an Australian context in particular with retrofits, um, we're um, in the absence of um, a uh, energy performance rating for for existing buildings it's kind of consistent and and uh, and easily accessible if not mandatory around the country it, it, it's a little bit harder to play in that space i remember having that conversation with you oh, it must have been two or three years ago um you might recall we sat down with professor peter hennecke who was who was out traveling in australia and was uh, extolling the virtues of the kfw bank um yeah. uh, and the the very active role that that state bank plays in uh, in driving energy performance improvements in uh, in the resi sector as well as other parts of the economy and and uh, we're kind of noting the checklist of things that would need to need to happen for the cfc to play in that space and, and one of the big ones was just having that having that really transparent uh, energy performance rating for buildings so you could actually you know robustly measure what was happening before and after mm. um, the investment was made very true first fuel is brought to you by the energy efficiency council a not-for-profit membership association for businesses universities governments and ngos the council's mission is to unlock the potential of energy efficiency to deliver healthy comfortable buildings productive competitive businesses and an affordable reliable and sustainable energy system for australia to find out how your organization can get involved visit eec.org.au forward slash membership Ian, what what's the other sort of big one? You know, there's there's a raft of projects that uh, that were sort of highlighted in that investment update. I kind of I've asked about the ones that really stood out for me. I want to give you the opportunity to talk about one that, that you're particularly passionate about from the the portfolio of uh, projects that uh, you committed to in the last year. Yeah, well, there's you know there there's a bunch of them, and they're um, yeah, they're all pretty. They're all pretty exciting. You have to pick one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Very excited to put some uh, capital into an uh, an Australian technology company called Jet Charge, which is um, was a uh, an investment through our clean energy, you know, the innovation fund. And Jet Charge is an exciting company. It's um, providing electric vehicle recharging infrastructure. Uh, around the countryside, and it's um, it's you know a growing company. It has a, a, a dynamic chief executive, guy called Tim Washington, um, and you know electric, electric vehicles. We've been supporting for many years now. Mm. I mean, mainly again through working with some of our finance partners who have um, you know, been able to provide some. Uh, discounted finance for people buying electric vehicles, but you know when you, when you look look at Australia's uptake of EVs, it's very very low, um, particularly mm-hmm. relative to our European equivalents, um, incredibly low. And to to get people, you know, to 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 want to invest in in EVs, they've well, one, it's got to work for them in terms of the cost of the vehicle, and the, the number of models available in Australia are limited at the minute. It's sort of slowly but surely improving. Um, there's probably, um, you know, so there's the sort of the financial equation. And so that's, you know, that's sort of one part of it. But one of the other 
significant things is is range anxiety and people, mm. you know, not mm. wanting to think I'm going to get stuck uh, if I'm on my way to Melbourne, down to Canberra, or wherever I'm, I'm going. So, uh, you know, I think there's definitely an opportunity for us to help support groups around recharging. I mean, JetChat is probably more focused uh, on um, not necessarily out there in the countryside, but, they, you know, they're a bit more in, in, in the, uh, you know, in the office, the commercial building, the home uh, recharging. But um, just generally, um, you know, the recharging of electric vehicles is a, is a significant step in getting people more interested and comfortable uh, in buying, making that decision to buy an EV. But, yeah, I mean, there's just such a, such a variety of, of uh, interesting things. And of course, we've got new things uh, coming over the horizon, Luke. With the, um, uh, you know, the government gave us uh, the instruction to establish a, uh, a hydrogen fund. Well, that was actually going to be my next question, <laughs> is because I, I, you know, I can't talk to you for for an hour without uh, mentioning hydrogen. I'd have uh, people rallying in the streets. Um, it's uh, obviously been a huge topic of uh, of conversation over the, over the last couple of years. Um, and Dr. Finkel's work um, yeah. has uh, has really, I think, clarified a, a few things in terms of the the strategic pathway that we need to walk down to realise that opportunity. What do you see as the CFC's role in um, in the hydrogen space? Yeah. CFC has got, you know, we've got we've got capital and we've got three, well, we've identified $300 million of concessional debt or potentially equity for, for hydrogen, the developing hydrogen market. I mean, we may not um, stick to 300 If there were great opportunities, we could, of course, invest a great deal more. Um, hmm. So we've got capital. We've got all these, you know, great bunch of investment professionals who've seen um, and worked with all sorts of other energy you know, projects and technologies that are very that are closely aligned to hydrogen. So we've got the sort of the expertise, got the relationships. We're working, probably going to be working with, or certainly hope to be working with Arena, who have got a, um, a funding, you know, a um, hydrogen funding round going at the moment. They've shortlisted seven uh, potential um, projects that um, and they've announced those. So. Um, you know, we can play that sort of role because we, with our capital we can take risks that others just aren't, you know, other investors, banks and so on. They're just, you know, they may not be prepared to take. And we, uh, in the first wave of hydrogen deals, um, and that might be something where there's an electrolyzer driven by renewable energy, um, mm. it'll be expensive because, you know, the market's still kind of making its way down the cost curve. Um, the um, the offtake may be uncertain. Um, the technology mm. may not necessarily be proven here in Australia. So there'll be a lot of um, there'll be a lot of capital that would be unsure of uh, those projects. And so we, I guess, you know, our role is all right. Well, let's lead the charge. Let's go where others may not necessarily be prepared to at this stage. Demonstrate the technology, the viability of of hydrogen production at large scale. And um, and then you know the economics will get better and better. Others will come in, and you know that's that's the sort of model we would um, we would really hope that we could uh, we could introduce to to this market. 
Is it really, from your perspective, having, I guess, observed the, the trajectory that something like solar PV has taken over the last 20 years, um, are we sort of uh, at the at the start of a similar journey for, for hydrogen and, the, you know, the cost of the technology, the electrolyzers and the like, and I guess nations um, through whatever mechanism making strategic investments that just allows us, allows us to drive down that cost curve? Is that the play? I think it is at a very high level. Uh, it will be... Um, a case of can we get hydrogen um, down to a price that is com- a competitive fuel with with things like mm. you know gas and whatever else uh, that it competes with, and um, yeah, you hear you hear the minister talk a lot about shooting for uh, two dollars under getting hydrogen to the point where it can be produced at under two dollars a kilogram, um, mm. but you know it'll have its own dynamics relative to to solar. You know, solar was. Um, relatively simple thing to build out, very modular, <sighs> generates power, goes into grid, and, you know, that's kind of how that, that works. Here, you know, hydrogen plays in a number of markets. It's in the transport world. You know, you talk about hydrogen um, fuel cells for trucking, uh, potentially even aviation. Um, there's, there's, you know, the use of green hydrogen possibly in um, fertilizers, you know, displacing um, fertilizers are created through processes with it, that are creating a whole lot more emissions. And then there's, you know, cre- creating green hydrogen through with renewable energy that's that's then just used as a, as a fuel for electricity generation. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's it, it's got differing dynamics. You know, it's probably you know a bit. It's got elements of what maybe the LNG sectors a bit like and it's you know or even you know the the um uh you know the fuel sector for for traffic mm, so, mm. so it's you know it's it's not straightforward i mean what arena are looking at in the first instance and, and what we hope to be involved in some of this just it's probably going to start with relatively conventional electrolyzers renewable energy in a number of cases can we produce mm. green hydrogen so look it'll be interesting and but yes i mean from the fundamental question is can we get it down can we produce it at a price that's competitive on the world stage because it's not just us that are playing the hydrogen game you know the germans announced a vast amount of money to go into hydrogen a few weeks ago <laughs> make your hair curl um yep. so everyone's you know the, the hydrogen is is no secret as a, a developing market Hydrogen has been the hot topic of, I guess, 2019 and the hot topic of 2020 is, uh, it still involves Dr. Finkel. It's the technology investment roadmap. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, that's, uh, drawn a huge amount of attention over the, uh, over the last few months. And of, of course, the, the, that round of initial public consultation is concluded. And Dr. Finkel and his team is, I'm sure, beavering away on, uh, on the, uh, on the final and initial version of that, of that roadmap. But, um, uh, What's your view on how that process is going and, and, you know, what role will the roadmap have in kind of guiding the CFC's agenda um, over, over the coming period, noting, of course, that this is not supposed to be a uh, snapshot in time but so, rather something that's updated regularly as the uh, situation evolves here in Australia? Yeah, um, the technology roadmap is it's obviously a big um, – t- you know, there's a, it's, it's a it's a big um, policy initiative for the government, and they've come out and they've kind of announced that. And there's there's a lot of technologies on that list, 140 or so. And you know, as you quite rightfully say, they're, they're 
about to make their, their first um, technology kind of update statement where they will identify priority uh, technologies and um, that will certainly uh, guide where we will be uh, directing our attention and you know we, we look we, we're actively working with the uh, you know with the government on that and helping you know give out input certainly from what we're seeing and where we might be able to get traction and what we think is is going to be competitive prices that you'll need to have for some of these things to work but you know like it's no secret that um that, that hydrogen's you know the top of many of these um lists um mm. so we're, we're you know we sort of started our work in that regard you know i know that the government are very focused on um the potential building products as well uh could well be um something of, of a priority for them um but yeah look it's it's i think we're going to hear a lot more about it it's going to um it will certainly influence where we're uh, heading. And finally, as we sort of work our way through this uh, this challenging year that we have found ourselves in, Ian, mm. 2020 has uh, has been a hard one and continues to be a hard one um, around the world and, and in Australia. How is that going to influence, I guess, the, the CFC over the next period of time? Does it fundamentally shift um, your approach to the market, your approach to investment, your ability to leverage private sector capital. How do you see that all playing out and, and, and how is the CFC likely to respond over coming months and years, noting that uh, you know we're in recession and it's, uh, it's pretty unclear uh, when we may emerge from that recession? No, it's a, look, it's a good question. And we're very, you know, very conscious that we want to be helping um, you know, helping the country recover from the uh, from the pandemic, and therefore, you know, we I guess more than ever we're looking at projects through the lens of um, what jobs might be uh, be created, uh, mm. what economic stimulus will this particular transaction provide? Um, you know, we, um, there are a number of uh, big nation-building projects, if you like, that are on our uh, radar, including things like the, you know, the Marinus link between Tassie and Victoria that I know are on the government's list of um, projects that are going to help the, the st- to stimulate the economy in the, in the wake of the recession. So um, we are increasingly focused on, um, as well as uh, the objectives of, <clears throat> you know, reducing emissions and decarbonising is um, will, will this capital help? Um, will, will help help the country sort of move mm. along and recover from what's been devastating over the last six months? Um, <clears throat> so that's one thing. I guess the other thing that we see is there's nervousness. There's been a significant impact on global capital movements with COVID. Mm. So. You know, banks, international bank branches here in Australia, they've been playing in these sectors. Um, you know, they may have different demands due to COVID. Equities less certain than it was, of course. Uh, they might need a, you know, higher return deals to get in challenge. Are they being delayed? Are they on? They off the supply chains a problem. Um, all those things. So we're trying to, you know, there's some projects that are coming to us that we're thinking, well, we might have to step up and play a role here because the capital's mm, stepped mm. away. So mm. we were, all, you know, we, we're also seeing a little bit of that as well, and we hope that you know we, we, we can potentially play a role where 
COVID has unsettled a, a, an otherwise good project. Yeah, indeed. And I suppose as much as anything else um, for financiers across the economy, the, the bandwidth to follow through anything that's not absolute core business um, is somewhat reduced right now. And so to the degree that you know we need to maintain a, a focus on in investment in this space, the CFC, as you say, potentially has a crucial role to play to keep the momentum going as we navigate this crisis. Indeed. So... And that brings us to the end of this episode of First Fuel. Um, now, I generally direct people to uh, to our guest's Twitter account, uh, but I, I looked up your t- Twitter account earlier, Ian, and um, it looks like you're averaging uh, a, around a post a year. Is that is that fair to say? <laughs> Probably is my run rate. <laughs> Yes, better on Instagram, maybe. Yes, yeah, so, well, you know, mate, perhaps find, find Ian on Instagram. But if you if you're looking for me, you can certainly find me on on Twitter. It's at uh, Luke Menzel. Um, and uh, if to keep up to date with the latest in energy efficiency, energy management, and demand response, you can follow the Energy Efficiency Council at EE Council. If Twitter is not your thing, you can email the team. The address is firstfuel at eec.org.au. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to First Fuel in your podcast app of choice. If that app is Apple Podcast, we'd love it if you could leave us a review and a rating. It will help like-minded energy geeks find the show. And of course, many of our episodes of First Fuel are broadcast as they're recorded, so you can jump on Zoom and listen in live. To register, visit eec.org.au forward slash podcasts. But for now, it's a goodbye from us, and we'll catch you soon. Thanks, Lou. Absolute pleasure.